welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, big guest, big guest, big reunion for me. Linda Ramone is on the show, someone who I met years ago, had dinner with, with her and Johnny Ramone, her late husband. And, and, and say shalom. We'll get into all that in a little bit. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. If you'd like, or but the better way to get in touch with the show on social media is uh, at Turned Out a Punk on Instagram and on Facebook. There's a Turned Out a Punk Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham, and he'll get the message to me and we can communicate that way. Also, if you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by letting all your friends know that you enjoy this podcast and by rating it on your app, listening to device thing of choice and writing a review if you can do that on that thing. And and that's it. Uh, but speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of our fine friends at Vans. They came on board this show a few years ago and said, just do this thing. Do it as you want to do it, Damien, and we will support you. And I thank them for that. They've had my back on like a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Uh, we don't need to get into it right now, but they, I really thank them very much for, for their kind support on this thing. Really, like legitimately. Like I'm not just talking about some bullshit other thing that you're plugged on the podcast. I actually feel a... <laughs> A, a, a relationship with this giant corporation, but I do know people at this corporation, so I feel the relationship is is personal. Why am I? This is a long rambling plug. I'm very tired. It's been a long day, and and I'm just gonna get through it. Okay, gonna get through it. Speaking of getting through it, I want to thank all the people over there at Patreon helping me get through it. And uh, go over there to Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Turned Out a Punk. And sign up. There's footnotes over there. Chris O'Toole and myself doing footnotes. There's Turn Out a Punk packages going out. There's all sorts of fun over there. Head over to patreon.com uh, slash Turn Out a Punk and, and check out what we got cooking over there. Speaking of cooking, tonight on the show, we're cooking up a great episode. Tonight on the show, Linda Ramone is on to talk about, well, the Ramones, but also like her life before the Ramones and, and going to see bands in New York and in the scene. It's a really fun episode, but this is someone that I met years ago when I was a teenager. My teacher was friends with Johnny Ramone and brought my class to dinner with him. And no one in my class, except for myself, really was that into punk. And so I just punished the shit out of him. Like just my God, you know, and I'm not going to do that to you right now because, you know, you'll be able to hear on the podcast most of the story being relayed, but I just want to set up for you when, you know, you hear brought up, it was years ago, but big, big night for me, big night for me, as you'll hear me say on the show. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore, except to tell you that you got to check out, uh, over there at happysocks.com, the, uh, brand new Linda Ramone and Johnny Ramone, Linda and Johnny gift box of socks. They got, they got socks, they got punk socks. Punk socks that rock. Um, so you got to check those socks out. All right. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Linda Ramone on Turned Out a Punk. Linda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, I'm sure it's going to be fun. Well, I can tell you it's a huge honor to talk to you. As I was just telling you off air again, after all these years and, uh, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get started, but I got to start off the way I start them all off, which is, Linda, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Well, I already I already was into music before punk, mm -hmm. so I already had my first, my brother was a little bit older and he was really into like Black Sabbath and Mountain and Black Oak, Arkansas, so he was more like that. And I was like, I was into Led Zeppelin. I was into like certain things. I like cream. You know, there, I, there was a bunch of stuff that I thought was okay, but nothing ever really made me feel like, okay, this is my music. It was kind of like my brother's music. So one day I'm sitting in the living room and we had this amazing uh, stereo with the bar lights 
and when you would put on music, the bar lights would change and you'd go behind it <laughs> totally. and change it. Yeah. And my brother would change it to the lemon song. And it was really like, it was like an amazing time. So listening to music was always, I was always loving it. But he came into the living room one day and he said, I found a band for you. And I go, what do you mean? Because I, I found something that I think you, you're, you're going to really like. He shows me a photo of the New York Dolls. I go, that's it. Uh, <laughs> I don't. So now I'm in high school. I don't want to talk to anybody who likes Led Zeppelin anymore. I don't want to talk to anybody who's like into that type of music. I want to try to find people who like the New York Dolls. Well, I live in Queens and in Rosedale. There was nobody really into the New York Dolls because Glitter Rock really, it didn't really hit like Queens like that. Mm -hmm. It was sort of like guys dressing like girls. It just didn't make sense to anybody around. But I'm in high school and I write on my desk one day, I love the New York Dolls. And some girl writes back to me, she goes, I love the New York Dolls. And I'm like, uh-oh, now this is exciting. Somebody else likes the New York Dolls. And she goes, let's meet after school. And I'm like, okay. So we make a plan where to meet. And we write on the desk. And this I is all through writing there. on desks, these notes back and forth? Well, yeah. Oh, that's you didn't awesome. have a phone back then. I mean, this is this, the 70s. Who yeah, had an iPhone? Course. You didn't Absolutely. have no iPhone? You, you write on the desk. Of I course. I the New York Dolls. <laughs> you know, what, what are you going to write? Yeah. I walk, start walking down the block. I could see her. She could see me. And the first thing she says to me, what grade are you in? I go, I'm in ninth grade. And I go, why? What grade are you in? She goes, I'm in 12th grade. Now I'm already, oh boy, this is a problem. I can see this. She's already older. And she says, my name is Ollie Ronson. And I'm like, oh, my name's Linda Marie Danielli. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so we meet, we go and we start hanging out and I go to her house and I see her mother and I'm Italian and I don't realize she's going to be Italian. And I hear her mother going, Arlene, Arlene. I'm like, Arlene, that's not what she told me. She said her name was Ollie. And then I'm sitting at the table and I'm like, isn't your name Ollie? And she goes, no, my name's Arlene Amato. <laughs> she knew the New York Dolls because she was already going into the city. So now I, I, I actually meet somebody who knows the dolls and goes into the city. Now that's my dream to go into the city. Cause I'm looking through rock scene and cream and thinking, wow, everybody's having a better time than me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you see all these people going to Max's Kansas city and I'm like, wow, this sounds great. So that's how I started getting into music. And then I started going into the city with Ollie. And the first club I went to was club 82 and I saw the dolls downstairs had you heard, I had my, sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i apologize sorry that's okay no i i did hear the dolls only because my brother bought the first album because we were allowed to go to corvettes and pick out records together mm -hmm. so first it was singles and then it was albums my but my brother already had you know he bought uh roxy music alice cooper you know so and you know a bunch of other you know, great looking album covers. Cause that's why you'd go buy an album. You look at an album cover and you go, this is amazing. Who's this Roxy music. Wow. What's that? You know, and then Martha Hoople had an amazing looking album cover. So when I saw the dolls album cover, I was like, Whoa, yeah. that's like the best thing ever. Oh, so iconic. I started going, I start, yeah. So I'm loving music. And my first, my father drove me in to see the New York dolls. And waited outside of the Academy of Music, me and my friend, Patty Ann, but her name was Heavenly, and I was Starlight. And we went to see the Dolls, and that was probably the first concert I went to on my own. But the first concert I ever went to was Grand Funk Railroad at Madison Square Garden with my brother. Oh, that's awesome. What oh, a, yeah. What a good two-show run you're on. <laughs> Just kick oh, it yeah. off. I mean, I go home, I'm 12 years old, and I'm like, Wow. That guy with no shirt, that Mark Fauna, okay, wow, you know, and you're 12, so you don't really know, like, you don't, you don't really like boys yet, you know, at least yeah. I didn't, I was like, wow, Grandpa Guerrero was great, so I just started getting into amazing music when I'm so young, so 
I go from Glitter Rock. I go see Slade. My mm-hmm. father drives me into the city with my friend to see Slade and Aerosmith open up. Oh, what Slade. a bill. I mean, at the Felt Forum. I mean, these are like amazing shows. Absolutely. And then, slowly but surely, Glitter Rock goes out. I don't go to the Club 82 anymore. And everybody starts saying, we're going to go to CBGB's. So the first time we go to CBGB's, I go with my friend Justin because he's in this band called Milk and Cookies. Oh, that band's incredible. Yeah, Justin was my best friend. So he would drive into the city with me and Ollie Ronson and my friend Janet. So were they part of the Glitter Rock? Well, Justin, the tail end. Like, that's what happened. Like, the dolls were the tail end of Glitter Rock. And then from Glitter Rock, it went right into Punk Rock because then Johnny Thunders leaves the New York Dolls and starts the Heartbreakers mm-hmm. with Walter Law, who I was then, who I become best friends with Walter Law for years. And Walter Law used to come to my house when I lived at home <laughs> and pick me up to go into the city. <laughs> that's awesome. So, and Justin was my my best friend, and he was in Milk and Cookies, and that's how we first went to see the Ramones because Milk and Cookies were going to start opening up for the Ramones. So the first time I heard of punk rock was we were already in CBGB's seeing the Ramones. Joey sang in some other band right beforehand. Like- Joey's, Joey was in Sniper. Sniper. That was that, uh, that. Sorry. Sniper was the band I was thinking of. Did you see Sniper? Yeah. And he was a Jeff Starship. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it all goes. I was Starlight. He's Jeff Starship. Johnny's, you know, it, it all, everybody's from Queens. Yeah. It, it was, I guess that was, was the punk scene a lot of the kids that had kind of come over from the glitter scene like yourself? Oh, yeah. A lot of people who went early, early days of CBGBs were all big New York Doll fans. All of them. A lot of people. And what were some of the other bands that would be playing with the New York Dolls and I guess Milk and Cookies at that time that you remember? Well, Milk and Cookies is more Ramones time. They okay. didn't play with the Dolls. Okay. So what happened was, well, you'd have the you had the Ramones, mm-hmm. then you had the Heartbreakers, you had Blondie, Talking Heads, Television, Patty Smith, I mean the Suicide. Uh, then you'd have like lesser bands like. The Miamis, the Marbles, the Boys. Like it was a bunch of different bands, but all like not so, nobody was really that big ex- at that point except like the Ramones and the Heartbreaks were kind of the two biggest bands when you first started going to CBGBs. And what do those shows like? How different of the vibe was CBGBs versus Club 82? Well, totally different because Club 82 was. It was a little odd. It was more like drag queens and stuff like that. It was kind of more because it was more like a Bowie time. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit different. And Club 82 was kind of it, you went down these steps and it was this little stage. CBGB's was different because, you know, Hilly had his dog there all the time. It was <laughs> yeah. really like it was really like. It wasn't a very fancy club, let's put it that way. But you would go see bands at Maxis, and Maxis was a really nice club. Mm-hmm. So so you'd have, like, the rivals, uh, Maxis and CBGBs. Like, the Ramones were more CBGBs band. The Heartbreakers were more Maxis band. But they'd go back and forth. But then all of a sudden, one out of nowhere, Devo plays Maxis Kansas City. So we all go to see Devo. I mean, that was amazing, you know. Devo yeah. was amazing. You know, we met Mark's mother bomb, me and Johnny. Uh, we went to a party together, and he said that after Devo saw the Ramones, they sped up all their songs. <laughs> well, like, it's amazing when you're talking about, like, that first wave of bands, you know, and even lumping, you know, obviously Devo's from Ohio, but lumping them in as well. It's it's just so... No, because everybody came down, because, like, the Dead Boys started playing all yeah, the time. Yeah. And then you had the Cramps. And, I mean, I saw the most amazing... I mean... I started off first concert Grand Funk Railroad. So, you know, it can't be, you like, life has to be good. Yeah. And it continued on being good throughout the whole time. And then punk was like amazing. You had a weekend. It was the damned and the dead boys. It was like one of the best weekends ever. And then all of a sudden the jam came and played and X-ray specs came and played. It was like ACDC even played CBGBs. Yeah. You were at that show. 
Oh yeah. Oh. I was I was at CBGB's every single weekend because me and Justin and Abby Jane and Janice, who was Johnny Thunder's first girlfriend, and he wrote Chatterbox about her, mm-hmm. we'd all go to CBGB's together. We'd all drive into Queens from Queens together. It's it's all like you know, and once again, like talking about all those bands you're talking about, it's awesome how different all those bands sounded like none of those bands are, are doing the same thing. And yet all of them can kind of be lumped under the umbrella of punk. Well, yeah. Cause it was a scene, mm-hmm. you know, that's why people go, Oh, punk music. You know, it's, you know, it was, it looked like it was a little bit different in England mm-hmm. than it was in America. America was more of a melting pot of bands. Like everybody played CBGBs. Everybody played Max's, you know, it was just a different thing. And, and it was like kind of interesting and fun because there was no backstage passes. You knew where the backstage was, yeah. but if you didn't know the band, you didn't go backstage, mm-hmm. you know, you would hang out, you know, in, in the club, but all the other bands every night would hang out. So it, even if Blondie wasn't playing, Clem Burke would go and Jimmy Destry would hang out. Like everybody was just kind of friends with everybody. It was just like a really like, it was a fun time because everybody just hung out together. Mm-hmm. When did that start to change? Like, cause you know, you're mentioning, you know, a, a, a rock and roll hall of fame worth of bands right off the top. Like when did that start to change? And when do you think the world started taking notice of that little scene outside of the Ramones oh, and the heartbreakers? Oh, that, that it's been so much later. Mm-hmm. I mean, the scene was over because then the Ramones didn't play CBGBs anymore. Mm-hmm. The Ramones got bigger. They went to England and then Blondie had the disco hit. So they became bigger. The scene just died at CBGBs and Max's for all those bands. Cause everybody got bigger. And I think the next scene came in CBGB's. I don't know, because I didn't go anymore to CBGB's, because then I left, you know, and I traveled the world with, you know, first with Joey. And that's another whole story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, how, how did you meet the Ramones? Did you meet them that first night going to see them? Oh, yeah. Everybody always knew everybody. Mm-hmm. Like well, I guess every, you would have known from Queens, yeah. Not from Queens, no, okay. just from CBGB's. I grew up in Rosedale. They were all from Forest Hills. Okay. Oh, but, but you had seen Sniper before. Did you know uh, Joey from Sniper? No, I did not see Sniper. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, no. So uh, when did so? Uh, what was it like sort of seeing this band, you know, um, for the first time? And, and like what, I guess, discuss meeting them for the first time, if you don't mind. Well, I don't even remember meeting them because it doesn't even – it wasn't like hi yeah. meeting them. You <laughs> yeah. see them every weekend because everybody hung out. Of course, everybody hung out more than Johnny though. Johnny would go home mm-hmm. and he didn't hang out as much. But every so first meeting, I wouldn't even know. It would just be standing around CBGBs after they played, or if they didn't play that night, and Joey would go because Joey would go to CBGBs every night because he lived across the street at the loft mm-hmm. with a Toro. So. He was, he lived across the street, so he'd go every night. I'd only go into CBGB's on the weekends because I had high school. I was still in high school going out. Was it like a lot of younger kids like yourself at that time or was it, a, was it an older scene? No, it was a younger scene. Okay. Everybody was, you know, people in the bands were probably the oldest. I mean, probably 27, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, a lot of people. And then there was a lot of girls that were a little bit older because they already lived in the city. I was still going to high school, so I certainly wasn't living in this, you know, living in the city. I mean, I was still living at home. <laughs> um, and what was the first uh, Ramones tour that you went on? Uh, the first tour was Japan, Australia. I oh. think it was 1980 oh my or 81. <laughs> I got to look in Johnny's black books. You know, Johnny kept black books. They're legendary. I've, I've heard many yeah. stories so, of these things. Yeah, and it's amazing because the other day I went through them again because yeah. I want to stop writing my autobiography. And I was like, and sometimes you like go, how am I going to remember everything? <laughs> but then you know what? You go to the little black book and you remember every single thing. Because I was like, I remember that show in Spain. It was like one of the best Sp- you know shows ever I've been to for the Ramones. Yeah. That one in Great Adventure were the two best shows. And there it is in Johnny's book. <laughs> wherever it was, how many people came, you know, the attendance and the pay. So he kept his books even went a little bit before he joined the Ramones. He, it was when he was still going to see concerts. So he'll say, I went to see Martha Hoople. I went to see, you know, 
Jimi Hendrix. I went, I and he kept every ticket stub. That's incredible. I have every one of Johnny's ticket stubs, and you could go back and see every concert. And then he has these little books that he writes, got a haircut, picked up my boots, got a velvet jacket, went to Granny Takes a Trip. <laughs> I, he'll say every – and it's not exciting. It's yeah. just like, it's, it's like little calendar of a diary he kept right before the Ramones and the whole time in the Ramones. It's that, amazing. That's amazing. So what do you have the same sort of like level of just detail, everyday life detail in, into the Ramones years too, in addition to the concert stuff? Oh yeah. Wow. That have you, I know obviously commando came out, but have you ever thought about releasing these as a book? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I liked, I liked commando. I thought it, it's the best Ramones book out there. I it's think. A, a fantastic book. It is a unflinchingly honest book. Well, anyone I anyone who read it who was Johnny's friends, like Kerf and Metallica, he goes, I feel like Johnny's sitting next mm-hmm, to me. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, every word in that book is from Johnny's mouth. So that's what I like about it. I mean, we didn't, you know, it, everything's on tape. You know, he said much more craziest stuff than some of the things that I kept out, you know. But, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. <laughs> you can't put everything in it, you know. Maybe one day I'll update the book. That yeah. would be interesting, updating the book. Yeah, the whole story type thing, everything, uh, like the warts and all yeah. kind of side of it. I, it's amazing that, like you know, I've 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 been lucky enough to live a, a a life in a band and done a lot of things. But that dinner that I had with the two of you, and then Stage Sage Stallone came at the at the very end to hang out too. <laughs> that I love Sage. Yeah, it's rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. And, but that I remember every single detail of that night. Like it's just, it's incredible what a profound impact that had on me, and so. You know, reading Commando, it felt like I was right back having that dinner again. Like, it was really like it, he's speaking to you through that book. Yeah. And that's what I loved about it, mm-hmm. you know. And so, it, yeah, it would be fun to update that in something and put on some of the stories that I didn't uh, get in, you know. But, I, li- I, you know, I like it because it reads like a Ramon song, very fast to the point, you know. I feel like you take it on a plane ride and you're there. Going back that meeting that night, like talking to him, it was like shortly after the breakup of the band. And he was just very much like, I want to wash my hands of it. I want nothing to do with it. Do you feel like a lot of the work that you're doing now is kind of making sure that you're preserving that legacy? Because, you know, he seemed to he, he it, like something it was like, I don't know, he was so close to it at the time that he didn't do a lot of that when he was around. So do you feel that that's something you've kind of taken on? Yeah, but I, I don't think Johnny, he never really washed his hands of it because then he put all the compilations together. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. You know? And that and that was a lot of fun. He'd sit here and he'd go, oh, let me call up Eddie. Let me see if he'll do this song. And then all of a sudden he'll call up Eddie. Okay. And then he'll call up Rob. And then he'll call up, you know, Manson. And he'll just call up all these different people. Hey, you want to do a song on a Ramones record? Hey. So he started enjoying retirement working like that. Okay. No, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I remember him saying that he never wanted to play guitar again. Like he had no interest in yeah. playing guitar again. I mean, but that's very Johnny. Of yeah. course he's going to say that. And if he did have to learn something he, and he didn't want to bother, he'd call up uh, our friend John Fashante and he'd go, can you learn this song for me and come over? <laughs> and, and John would be over like in five minutes. <laughs> I think he enjoyed telling people he didn't like to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, he was like that all day long with everything. I bought him a Christmas present when we still lived in New York City, the motion picture guide. And it was, you know, rates all the movies. And it's like an encyclopedia of all the movies. Mm-hmm. And when I was ordering them from these people, they go, oh, uh, are you a teacher? And I'm like, no. And they go, oh, are you buying this for a library? And I go, no, I'm buying this for my husband. And they go, what does he do? And I said, well, he's in a band, but he really loves knowledge. And they were like, we've never had an ordinary person like buy a giant set of encyclopedias for a, a present before ever. And Johnny would go to the motion picture guy all the time. If we have Vincent Gallo over, Vincent would say, oh, I, I love this movie. And Johnny would come out and look it up in the book and go, it got one star. <laughs> And then he goes to the old, awful things about it, and we'd all be hysterical. Like, so he was so. There's a really cute photo of him and uh, Kurt. 
uh, sitting on the floor together in front of all his books because he had the motion picture guy, then the psychotronic guy, you know, mm-hmm. he had all these different, you know, all these different uh, movie books, uh, rock books, but everything was like, you know, information. And that's all he did all day long. People would call him up. I don't know how Johnny would be right now with everybody has the phone because everybody would call up Johnny all the time and ask him questions because he had all these encyclopedias. He had the baseball encyclopedia. He had Lennon Walton. He had like, uh, you know, all his books were encyclopedia books. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I guess going back to that first tour, what was it like going to Japan and, and playing punk shows in 1980 in Australia? Because that would have been, you know, obviously Australia had a scene that was going by that point, and so did Japan. But that was fairly early into those scenes. What was that? What was that experience like? Well, Japan was very uh, conservative. Okay. Like they they wouldn't get up. They they sit there. You could see the excitement. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but. They're very, you know, reserved, but they would come to the show and we'd all be amazed. They'd have the perfect haircut. The pins were the exact pin the the Ramones would wear. The jeans were perfect. Like Johnny, it would be amazing. That was the amazing thing about Japan. They take, they go to every little last detail. So it was amazing to see the whole entire audience look like the Ramones. So you look out there and you go, wow. So you could see like the incitement, but you know what? And they would get up and clap, but you know, I guess now they might be different. And over the years they got a little bit more, but you know what? They weren't like other, other places. Like Australia was more rowdy because Australia is more rowdy. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd get there and everybody would be drinking from the morning to night and nobody would be drunk. Because I guess they were also used to drinking all day, you know. I guess that's what they say about Canadians. <laughs> was that was that <laughs> that's true? Well, I I, I uh, you know I choose to walk the straight and narrow and spend all my money on records instead. Which leads me to the next question: Did was it Radio Birdman and the Saints that they played with on that tour in Australia? Because I think I seen a flyer for, or a poster for one of those shows. Do you remember? It might have been the Saints. I I got to look at it. Oh. I got. I have some great posters from back then, too. Oh, I can I imagine. That was the real great thing about uh, Johnny and me. We collected. Yes. So we have, you know, and I still collect. I still get, I still buy dolls. I just got an amazing Disney doll from the, did you see they had the big Disney Disney auction? It was amazing. What, with the one and with I got the, a doll from, it's a small world. Oh, amazing. Like an actual. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Like I, I, uh, yeah. Cause I've heard your house is you've got a, a rock and roll room and Elvis room and a, a Disney room, right? Yes. We now had, we had to rename it. It now is called, uh, the Johnny and Linda Ramon ranch. Okay. <laughs> people think I said Ramon's ranch. I was, you know, that everyone got confused. The Ramones lived here, but sadly, <laughs> sadly, none of them are alive to live here. True. Very true. Unfortunately. Um, uh, yeah, like I guess what when did that you were you a collector uh your whole life type thing? Oh, it sounds like oh, your yeah. brother was too. I My brother was a hardcore collector. He had every circus magazine in in order. He <laughs> had every rock scene and cream magazine and hip parader. Wow. Like he collected all magazines and everything was in order. His his it was funny though cuz my brother actually put his uh albums in alphabetical order too and so did johnny the whole entire house is in alphabetical order all the tapes everything that's kind of my kind of collection that's very easy to find oh, yeah. what you're looking for like we go over stage stallone's house and johnny goes sage it's a mess here what are you doing <laughs> like all your tapes everything's all over the book oh no 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 don't worry johnny i'm cleaning i'll i'll i'll, I'll have it all cleaned up one day <laughs> never because same thing with Eric Caden. Eric, did you ever meet Eric Caden from Hollywood Book and Poster? No. Oh, he was a great, he was another collector. Like Johnny hung out with all these like really, you know, but everybody's a collector. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember when our, when Mike Orlando, my teacher, came to us one day and he's like, hey, we're going to go on a school trip and we're going to have dinner with Johnny Ramone. And we were just like, there's no way you know Johnny Ramone. And then to find out years later about this massive trove of posters it's like of course through poster collecting that's how you knew them oh yeah 
Poster collecting is a big hobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like, do you like? Are you mainly into horror movie posters, or what kind of stuff are you collecting poster? Oh no, I co- I collect sixties. Okay. I collect all D. Martin, Ma- Matt Helm, Barbarella, Emmanuel. I have a whole bunch of sixties up. I I have some Johnny Horror stuff still up, but I I still have more like Danger Diabolic and Teaserama and Valley of the Dolls and. So Russ Meyer stuff and yeah, like just like the classic. Oh, I have yeah. Tons of Russ Meyer. I love Russ Meyer. They are, they're great movies. So, yeah, I, I sorry, just so I, I won't keep you too much longer because I obviously I could talk to you forever about these sorts of stories and things like that. But I've always heard sort of legend of what kind of uh, effect hardcore had on the Ramones and kind of like Johnny specifically going to see these bands that were getting faster and faster and how that was an influence on the Ramones speeding up the sound. Um, but I guess like you would have a firsthand That's kind of view true. of that. That's not true? No. So Johnny what, didn't get faster because of hardcore bands. Why did they get faster then? He he always, because as Didi would say, whoever got replaced, then all of a sudden the band got faster. Yeah. I think Johnny just thought it was the band, you know what, getting faster. I don't even know if they did it intentionally. Because I, I, well, why do you think they got faster? You mean the shows, the songs? Yeah, well, no. See, yeah, the shows definitely. Um, you know, it's like from "It's Alive" to a "Loco Live." It's incredible the speed difference. But CJ Ramon was on the podcast a while back, and he talked about how actually, like, it was a big deal. Like, they kept wanting to slow down, but Johnny was like, "No, we got to be fast. We got to be fast." Well, Johnny was always into punk, and he was always into fast music. Mm-hmm. I think that's what made him, uh, you know, crazier. Now. <laughs> He was definitely wound tight, but I don't think Johnny did it on purpose. It was just like maybe he felt it was more energy being faster. Okay. But I don't, he didn't get influenced by hardcore by no means. Well, like, what was the stuff he would like to after the Ramones? Like, what was the kind of stuff you guys listened to around the house? In the house, we listened to the jukebox. So okay. we listened to Elvis in, in the Elvis room and then. We would, he'd listen to uh, Frankie Lane. And I mean, when we'd listen to punk, we listened to the Dickies, mm-hmm. a lot of plasmatics. But we, we basically miss it, listen to 60s music and house music. If we had parties, we listened to, you know, a little bit of uh, glitter rock, punk rock, mm-hmm. and the British invasion. Um, and going back to that first wave of bands, were there any bands that you thought, you know, deserved more credit that never got really kind of the their due at the time or, or since then? Uh, not really. I think everybody like it was just a smaller time, you know. Like I, I'm sure X wish they were bigger at that time, but they didn't continue, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Dickies, the Dickies were good. I mean, it's just it's you know the Heartbreakers should have been bigger. No, but, totally. You know, they all took drugs instead. So mm-hmm. I mean, everybody had their different reasoning. I mean, Johnny had this worth, you know, this work way of doing everything because he went to military school that nobody would mess up because he was like so behind, you know, how the band should go on stage, how they should leave stage. No one was allowed to drink before they played. No one was allowed to get high before they played because he always felt like the audience deserved their best. And I think other bands just didn't do that. And is that what you credit? Do you think with the Ramones kind of having that, that, that legacy, you know, and being the band that kind of did survive the longest out of all those bands? Well, of course. I mean, there's so many bands that, you know, even like the Dolls and all those people at that point, you know, they go on at one o'clock in the morning and people just didn't want that. I mean, it just couldn't be. Mm-hmm. You can't have a band that's sloppy and stays forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to you have to have a work ethic. I mean, I'm sure the Rolling Stones do. I mean, I'm sure a bunch of people do. Yeah, but I think a lot of those bands, it's like, it seems like it comes from external forces at a certain point, but you always hear from the Ramones, it was, it's Johnny, that it was Johnny that kind of kept everyone kind of on that track. Well, someone had to be in charge. <laughs> Nobody else wanted to be, so. What was your favorite out of all the tours that you did? Japan, Australia. Well, I don't know. It, Italy was pretty good too, though, because Italy was kind of crazy. Like, it was kind of crazy, like going overseas to shows because America is one thing, but going overseas, like you'd get to these dressing rooms and they'd be down in a ditch. Like it was just <laughs> like, it was just really all. And the first time everybody eating Japanese food, that was pretty scary. 
Like no one would eat Japanese food. So we all decided we'd all be going to like Italian restaurants, Italian food in Japan. It was crazy. Like the promoters were like, oh, no, no, no. You have to go for Japanese food. And they you know. And finally, if everyone would agree, we'd all like have like noodles, like, you know, but trying Japanese food in Japan for the first time with the Ramones was always hysterical. Like anywhere, like going and trying like, Indian food for the first time and you know every everything was like always such an ordeal with everybody you know with getting people to like even try different things because nobody was even into like doing different foods back then yeah yeah no I remember even on that school trip uh, you know at that dinner Johnny saying that he hated touring and he never wanted to go back to Europe because he didn't like the food and didn't like you know touring in Europe at the time it was just not pleasant yeah, they also all like to complain too. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to complain when you're on the road. There's nothing else to I, do. You I know. You sit in the van together. You know, you start complaining about each other. You start complaining about everything. It's just fun. I mean, that's the fun part of touring. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I I played in a band for the last you know twenty years, and and I think that conversation really set the tone for my life in the band. You know, complaining the whole time. You know, everything. Yeah, I mean. I mean, if you don't do that, what are you going to do then? You know, I mean, it's fun to be, it's fun to complain because it's actually a, a form of being happy. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Also those shows, every single show that they would have been playing there, that audience would have produced like dozens of bands that would have made up the, you know, the next wave of punk bands from that. It's like, you know, it's incredible. Like those tours, just like how creatively inspiring they were for, for the audiences. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, that's the, that's the thing of Johnny too. Like telling people, you know what? You just pick up the guitar and you go play that, you know, he say, uh, I can't sit in my room a lifetime to try to play like Jimmy page. Jimmy page is Jimmy page. <laughs> so I think he just inspired so many kids just to be themselves and to get out there and play. I mean, that, that's what punk was all about. Did he, do you think he drew, did he draw a lot of joy out of being in the band or do you think it was more of a job after a certain point for him? Well, it was always it's a job because you got to get up and go somewhere. But yeah. Johnny loved being in the Ramones. Johnny mm -hmm. was Johnny Ramone, and the, the Ramones are the best band in the world. Uh, I have so, no argument here, and that's how he felt. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's like, well, it's just unbelievable how timeless it all still sounds. You know, like it's a band that I mean, those records could come out tomorrow and it would still sound new. I see it even with the Johnny Ramone tribute I do every year. Every year it grows and grows and grows. I For the last 15 years, I've seen kids come years and years, and they all grow up. And every year it gets bigger. Every year it gets more fun. We have, like this year I had uh, the Warriors. I showed the Warriors. Mm -hmm. And Walter Hill came. And Swan came. And I had Jonesy from the Sex Pistols. He played with Fred Armisen and the girl from uh, Starcrawler. And it's just like every year, like Tim Armstrong from Rancid came over and he goes, I want to do it next year. And then X came this year and X is like, oh, we want to play next year. Like every year, the tribute just brings everybody together. I think the, the legacy just keeps growing and growing because it's just amazing to see, you know, all the Ramon fans that, you know, they're all teaching their kids to be Ramon fans, which is amazing. And that's why I think the tribute's so important because, you know what? You can bring your kids there and you show them, okay, this is great. And this is what punk was all about because all the bands come and everybody has a great time. And it's like, there's such a continuum, right? There's still bands that sound like, like they're, they're trying to be the Ramones, you know? Well, to... we wish there was more of that though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There, there's a lot of them. There's, like there's, well, you, I'm sure you're privy to like the whole series of albums of just bands covering whole Ramones records cover to cover. Right. Like Screeching yeah. Weasel did one, the Queers did one, yeah, the Lintons. They, they're, they're the best ones out of all of them, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're pretty good. Yeah, definitely. There's also uh, there's a band from my area called the Vapids that had a song called Johnny Ramone. You know, there's there's like a, a real like it, it's few bands I think you know inspire this kind of fanaticism and 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 continue to inspire this level of fanaticism all these years, years later. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's what makes them the best band ever. You always hear about how hard those tours were and just how strained the relations were between the members of the band. Do you think that's been played up over time or was it really that tense backstage in those years? 
Oh, it always sounds better when you play it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, were there moments of levity of like everyone laughing together and having a good time? Well, everybody keeps saying how much Joey hated Johnny, but Joey sent Johnny a Christmas card every year. I mean, you don't hate somebody and you send Christmas cards too, and always making jokes in the Christmas cards. You know what? Johnny loved everybody thinking everybody hated each other to that point. He thought it was punk and he thought it was cool. If they hated themselves that much, they wouldn't even be able to play for that long. They would have left. Mm -hmm. And Johnny would have did something else and so would have Joey. At that point, you know what? It's all part of being in a punk band. You know, and it's it's also, you know, you wouldn't be able to write songs together. You wouldn't be able to have that kind of creative partnership if there wasn't some level of mutual respect, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It's, it's always more fun, though, to make it really extreme. Well, like, and why do you think he leaned into that so hard? Like, why do you think he leaned into, like, you know, being the contrarian and, and being the person that was, like, going to be the, the, the thorn in, in people's side sometimes? I think Johnny just liked to get a rise out of people. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's what made him tick. He was fun like that. That That's what was funny to him. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Like, well, I guess that's the punk thing too, right? Like that's the, there's that side of punk and I guess that's where it comes from. Yeah. I mean, that's everybody's kind of sense of humor. They were all kind of like that. You know, you know, once again, it's this, this friendship that, you know, somehow lasts all these years, but there's that, I guess there's that moment where they, the last show and they both walk off in separate directions. And I think that's something that just, you know, it's brought up in the documentary, obviously end of the century. And so it's just something that I guess fans hold on to. And, and also it's, it's fun to, you know, as John Ford says, print the legend. Yeah. I mean, that was the other thing. End of the century, Michael, uh, he really made it a little darker than he had to, mm -hmm. but that, that was his take on it. And when, after we watch it each time, Johnny would be like, it's a little dark, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, we, we all did have a good time because even after that, Dee Dee would call up and we'd all, we'd all sit around laughing about how, you know, oh, we all say, oh, everybody hates each other. And yeah, you know, but we always laughed about everybody saying things about each other. Yeah. That's how, and that's how everybody was. But it was a little bit too dark into the century. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little dark, that movie. I think. Yeah. It, uh, and and I think it's one of those things that, you know, no one will understand the internal dynamics of a band unless it's the people that were there um, for that band. Yeah, every, everybody else had a good time. Everybody laughed. We all had a good time. It's ridiculous to make it seem like nobody had a good time. <laughs> nobody would have stayed there that long. Uh, but, you know, it's, I guess it's like, you know, Johnny was right. Like, it, it's part of the le legacy. It's part of the legend now. And it just kind of adds to the to the aura, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely does. I'm, I'm sure the Rolling Stones don't like each other that much. Oh, I guarantee those guys have not talked to each other in years. <laughs> but yet they're still playing it. How many years together? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, forever. <laughs> forever. It's like I a mean, prison sentence. It's been a very long time. Well, that's what I, I like. That's why, you know, and once again, it keeps coming back to this conversation, but that night changed my life in such a profound way all those years ago. But like, you know, the, the idea of retiring from music and the idea of being, I'm okay with my legacy being what it is. I can walk away from it now. It's something that very few musicians have the ability to do, you know, like you see so yeah. many people like look at the Rolling Stones. Yeah. But Johnny plotted and planned his retirement. He was really waiting to retire. I mean, when we were living in New York, he'd be like, when we retire, <laughs> we're going to go to L.A. and get a house. And I'm not, you know, so he was always wanting to retire. I mean, he thought he was going to be in the Ramones for five years, be in the biggest band in the world, and then leave and become a movie director. Because that's really what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a B-movie director like Roger Corman. That's the best. That is amazing. I mean, that's why he was so into movies. Yeah. He thought, this is going to be easy. I'm going to be in the biggest band in the world. I can retire. Meanwhile, nobody made enough money to retire. He had to save every penny. We lived in a one-bedroom our whole life. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And then we move out here, and he finally could retire. Did, uh, like, did he ever flip any of his collectibles or collections or did you, I mean, did you both ever flip any of your collectibles or collections or is it just like constantly about acquiring? 
No, he'd do a lot of trading. Yeah. Like he traded Andy Gore, a lot of Ramon stuff, for a lot of uh, freak stuff that Andy Gore collected. And mm-hmm. he it, we he did a lot of trading. We did a lot of trading when we were in New York with our friend Mitchell, who lived two floors above. And he liked trading. But never we never sold. Like I, I hated when Johnny passed away, he put in some of his posters in a movie auction because for whatever reason – it's another that's another whole story but whatever i didn't sell i will ever sell like every year people like say to me oh there's this poster I, i'm never selling anything again if not i buy back things i bought back two of Johnny's guitars i bought uh i i, I bought the pinhead dress I, I i buy back things in auction all the time now because i do the tribute and i do like a ramones museum and i'm very into collecting back all the stuff johnny traded and sold well, uh, Linda, as I said, this has been an unbelievably fun conversation. At some point down the line, would you come back for a part two? Oh, for sure. Yes, because then we have to talk about Johnny Ramone's ha- happy socks. <laughs> uh, well, no, I believe me. I will be plugging the socks and, and buying myself a couple pairs of socks. Uh, they, the- they came out really good. They're really nice. That's what I mean. I mean, the house is very happy. Like Ramone Ranch is a happy house. Yes. Like we have the Elvis room. We have a horror room. We have a rock and roll room, a Disney bathroom. When me and Johnny moved here and we decorated the house, that was the happiest time ever. I like putting all our collectibles in. And I mean, that's what really made collecting fun, getting a house, you know, which was amazing because we never dreamed we could have a house one day and have a theme house. Well, and it also, it just seems like the, what a great retirement it was. Like you both, you know, you move out to LA where there's so many friends and finally the collection can breathe from these one bedroom apartments in New York. Like it was like, I don't know, it's just so, so idyllic compared to, you know, a lot of, you know, band, like obviously, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it through rose colored glasses from a distance, but like, it just seems so idyllic compared to the way a lot of bands, you know, spend their, their, you know, post band life. I know. I mean. When we got out here, though, it was amazing, though, to see, because maybe we just didn't meet. We knew some collectors in New York, like Johnny always collected baseball, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we heavily go to the baseball conventions. Then he was very into horror, so we go to the horror convention. Like, we went to it, but it was so different when we got to L.A. I don't know. We just met really hardcore collectors, and everybody had houses. So you could go over and see people's collections even like when we went to see kirk's collection in san francisco we because me and johnny would drive to go see kirk and lonnie and we go and all of a sudden we get to kirk's uh collection and johnny we would be like kirk had the most amazing collection and he still does and we get back in the car because we'd stay over kirk's house for a couple of days and we drive home and johnny's like I got to beef up my collection. <laughs> and while we're on the way home, you know, he called Ron Moore and he go, I, I, I you know what? I'm looking for an invisible man poster. <laughs> like, we were just like, so, and then the other thing is Johnny got everybody else into collecting. When we first met Rob Zombie, he was into collecting a little bit, but then he got Rob into really collecting movie posters more and taxidermy and other. And then he got Eddie Vedder into baseball collecting more. And then he got John Fashante into collecting movie posters. Like he met all these people who were like crazy and then started collecting more and more because of Johnny's like excitement about collecting. It would be crazy. Like Eddie would like get into this bidding war with baseball people and he goes, I'm not going to lose. And then like, we'd be on the phone and go, no, Eddie, stop, stop already. No, you're paying too much, you know, and it'd be crazy. And the other day, well, a couple months ago with, I got this rocket to Russia stand up and the guy from r kept going to me, no, Linda, you're paying too much. And I'm like, no, I want it. <laughs> so you get into collecting frenzy and you just want something. It's so, well, that's the amazing thing about collecting. <laughs> and it's such a great hobby to have when you're on the road too, because you're like, you can always be looking for stuff when you're out there. Well, yeah, but you Johnny collected vinyl too back then, you mm-hmm. know? So you could go to the, you could go to record stores and collect vinyl. Then you go to movie posters. Like there was, it. I mean, that's what makes it fun on the road collecting. Mm-hmm. Definitely keeps you sane you out know? there. Oh uh, yeah. 
Well, you've been on the road. You know what it's like. Oh, yes, I know. Very, very much. It set the, that dinner set the tone for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so well, there you go. See, who knew? Oh, Linda, thank you again for coming on the show. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Linda, for coming on the show. And we'll do a part two with Linda down the road because, my gosh, she saw it all. She, she was there for the whole thing. But uh, thank her again for coming on. And also go over there and check out happysocks.com and get yourself a pair of socks. I'm going to get myself a pair of Johnny Ramone socks. Jo- Linda and Johnny Ramone socks, of course. And, uh, and rock them around the house. I got a happy house here, too. I got a, I got a record room. I got a wrestling room. And I got a, I got a bunch of Lego on the floor room because I got kids. That's, that's, that's my happy house. Except when you step on Lego, no one's smiling after that happens. Oh my God. But you know what I'm going to be smiling about next week on the show, Kevin Morby's here to, to, uh, oh, it's an incredible episode. We talk about woods, but we talk about so much stuff. Uh, we get, we go deep. We kind of nerd out. It's almost like a footnotes style episode. Sorry, Chris, I don't mean to infringe on your and my relationship at all, but but we 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 nerd out. We get we got on a good wavelength with this one. It's a a fun conversation. We talk about ah, it, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it, and I'm going to enjoy the rest now because I'm very tired. As I I hope I'm not coming across as tired as I am, but oh, I'm feeling oh so wow. Let me give you some energy. I'm going to get some energy to wrap this thing up. Uh, But thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for all the support on the Patreon. Thank you for all the support on this podcast. And go out there and make your own culture. Go out and do your own shit. And uh, I will see you on the next episode. Oh, sign your organ donor cards, too, please, because that shit works. And uh, I'll see you next time on the show. Bye. Thanks for listening.